if you uh, have a Bible, uh, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to John 15, uh, verse 18. And we'll pick up there in a moment. We are uh, nearing the end of our fall series called Witness. Uh, and we, uh, before we jump into today's text, I want to take a moment to kind of look back over the last couple months and recap uh, the series that we've been in. So we started this series on Labor Day weekend uh, in early September. And uh, we, the first five weeks of the series, uh, we looked at essential uh, rhythms and practices of the church uh, through the lens of Jesus' call to be uh, witnesses in the world. Uh, so we talked about prayer, the importance of prayer and witness. Uh, we talked about committing to community and the role that that plays in effective witness. We talked about the scripture as containing the truth that we witness to, that Jesus is back from the dead. Uh, we talked about the, the Holy Spirit who's meant to fill us and empower us for witness. We walk in step with the Spirit. We follow the promptings of the Spirit. Uh, and then week five, we talked about uh, gifts and manifestations of the Spirit and the role that that was meant to play in uh, witnessing to other people, in alerting them to the rule and reign of Christ in the world. That was movement one. Uh, next, we examine the culture itself, uh, as any missionary would. Uh, what culture do we live in? Uh, what are some of the unique challenges and unique opportunities that we have as witnesses within our culture? And so we ask these questions in the second movement of the series. Uh, what is post-Christian culture? What does it mean to be a political captive? Uh, how does our culture define freedom? And how does that sit in contrast to the way that Jesus and the scriptures define true freedom? Uh, what is relativism? And how has our culture embraced it? Uh, and then finally, ultimately, we looked at what hope do we have for revival or renewal in the Western world? And that was all sort of uh, part of the big picture cultural analysis that we did. Where did our culture come from? Going all the way back to seeds planted in the Enlightenment hundreds of years ago. Uh, where do we anticipate it heading? What obstacles do we face in our culture that we might not face in any number of other foreign cultures around the world? And what hope do we have for its future? Uh, that was movement two. And then finally, we entered the third movement of the series, which is where we got as down to earth and as practical as we possibly could. And we examined uh, the five habits of highly missional people, which are uh, bless, eat, listen, learn, and share. Uh, and each one of these came with a new challenge or a new habit to cultivate. Uh, bless three people a week, at least one of whom does not know Jesus. Uh, eat with three people a week outside of your household, at least one of whom does not know Jesus. Listen with care uh, to three people a week, at least one of whom does not know Jesus. Uh, learn to apply the gospel to yourself and others uh, fluently, conversationally, uh, to any uh, moment that you experience in life. And then ultimately learn to share your faith in context, sort of on the way as you go about your life. 
Those were the five habits that we talked about. Uh, If you learn to cultivate and embrace these simple habits, I guarantee that you will see people come to faith over time. Uh, And the great news is that anybody can do this stuff. Um, Anybody uh, can learn to bless others or listen well to others with care or to eat with others. We can all learn over time uh, to speak the gospel fluently into uh, in conversation into our own lives and the lives of others, learning to see Jesus uh, as the ultimate solution to every human problem. And we can all uh, share and answer people's questions as we journey through life with them in God's timing. Uh, but as we finish up the series, there's something else I want to highlight, uh, and that is the reality of rejection, which is a fun, cheery topic. If you follow Jesus, you will experience rejection. If we live as His Spirit-filled witnesses in the world, sharing His truth with those around us, uh, we will experience rejection. Uh, You can be engaged in prayer, committed to community, uh, soaked in Scripture, filled with the Spirit, and you will experience rejection. Uh, You can know and understand post-Christian culture inside and out. You can know all of its pitfalls, all of its thinking. You can have the ability to deconstruct every argument. Uh, You can be engaged in all five habits of highly missional people, and you will experience rejection. And we have to accept that. We have to be prepared for that. How do I know you will experience rejection? Because Jesus himself experienced rejection. And then he said these words to his disciples. This is John 15, verse 18. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. There are many reasons that we might fail to witness about Jesus in the world. We have a very real enemy who seeks to instill fear in us. In fact, the Bible calls Satan the ruler of this world and the God of this age. A being who has incredible sway and influence over humanity. Uh, And we carry the message that can set people free. That that can release people out from under His rule and reign and bring them into the kingdom of God. The gospel is powerful. The gospel works. Works. And so, Satan is going to do everything he can to uh, derail your witness, to keep you from sharing with other people. 
and by the numbers, uh, he is effective in that endeavor. Uh, A study done a few years ago found that roughly half of millennial Christians, 47%, uh, agree that it is uh, at least somewhat wrong to share one's personal beliefs with another in the hopes that they will one day share that same faith. So, So think about that. Half of all millennial Christians, the generation that I'm a part of, um, believe that it's not that it's difficult to share your faith with others, but that it's wrong to do so. Millennial Christians uh, believe that our faith is important in the general sense, and studies have shown that we are more equipped to share our faith than previous generations were. And yet, uh, somewhere along the line, we picked up this idea. There's this giant mental block. Someone or something has, has suggested to us, has instilled the idea in us, that it is wrong to share our faith. In fact, when it comes to witnessing, we have all sorts of fears that rise up in our hearts. What if I say something wrong? What if I mess up? What if I engage someone and instead of uh, drawing them toward Jesus, I I push them away? What if they get offended? But honestly, beneath all of those fears is is a greater fear. It's the fear of rejection. We are afraid of being misunderstood. Uh, We are afraid of being labeled. Uh, We are afraid of being mocked or accused. We are afraid of rejection. Because at the end of the day, whether we admit it or not, most of us care more about our reputations than we do about other people. We care more about what others think of us than we do about those people themselves. And while that's understandable, it's also, at the end of the day, selfish. Let me ask you this. Do you believe that Jesus is going to return to judge the living and the dead? That that every human being who has ever lived will stand before him and, and give an account. And those who have placed their faith in Jesus will enter into the kingdom of heaven in its fullness, and those who have not placed their faith in Jesus will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Do we we believe that? Do do we actually believe those things? Because the scriptures talk about them, and Jesus talks about them. Do we believe that, that judgment is real? Do we believe that hell is real? We can debate the nature of those things, but, it, but they're real. And our, our friends, our coworkers, our family members who reject Jesus, who fail to place their faith in Him, are going to experience those things. Do we actually believe that? Because if we don't, we probably aren't going to witness Uh, The stakes aren't high enough. Our fear of rejection 
will stifle any impulse that we have in our hearts to share our faith with others. But if that's true, if judgment and hell are real, then the stakes are incredibly high. So we have to start by deciding if we actually believe what Jesus said about those things. And if we do believe Him, we have to decide what means more to us. What people think of us or, or what they will experience for eternity. Which do you love more? People or their opinion of you? Because it may come down to one or the other. Do we operate in a love of people that propels us outward despite the fear of rejection, despite the fear of being misunderstood, or do we fear people and what they think of us and allow ourselves to shrink back and, and fail to witness? Jesus says it this way, Luke 12. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. It seems that in our popularity-driven culture, where most of us have been trained to compete for likes and the approval of others, many of us have come to fear the wrong things. We are governed more by a fear of people than we are by a fear of God. And I'm as guilty of this as anyone else. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, someone asked me in conversation, why did you decide to do this? Like, what made you decide to do a, a three or four month series on uh, witnessing? And I thought about it for a second, and, and I said, it's because it's my weakness. This is my weakness. When, when I, I have my own blind spots that I'm not even aware of, but when I really take stock of my life before God and examine my, my heart, say, God, search me. Where do I need to grow in my discipleship to you? It's this. It's, it's everything we've been talking about for the last three or four months. I, I'm speaking out of my weakness. I'm speaking into the areas that I want to grow in. Uh, where, where I want to advance in my discipleship. But it's my personal weakness, so, so rather than ignore that, I, I want to I press into that. And if it's my weakness, then, then odds are it, other people are probably going to see that as their weakness as well. I, I want to overcome my own fears and shortcomings in this area. I want to be equipped, and, and hence this series that we're in. Because I can stand at the front of the church and talk about theology all day, but when it comes to engaging my atheist friends with, with the truth of who Jesus is, I can sometimes be at a loss. I, I can sometimes become fearful or paralyzed 
And I hate being rejected. I hate it. And, and I've, I've experienced those things. I've been led by the Spirit to lay the gospel out in its fullness beautifully for friends and family members who still to this day have yet to accept Jesus. I've, I've been led by the Spirit to engage strangers with the gospel or offer to pray in, in those somewhat rare occasions where I just, I just couldn't walk away. I wanted to, but something in me was saying, no, just, just ask. Go back there. The Spirit was just wouldn't let me go. Go and, go and talk to them. Go and offer to pray for them. I, I've been led to engage in those ways and been rejected. No, absolutely not. I don't want that. Over the years, I've been made fun of. I've been mocked. I've been rejected, and, and it hurts. It's horrible. It, it's an awful feeling. I hate it. But then I open the pages of Scripture, and I remember. Just as the world hated me, it's going to hate you too. Just as the world persecuted me, it's going to persecute you too. Blessed are you, Jesus says, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I open the pages of Scripture and I remember the one who died for me when I was his enemy to rescue me from hell. And I remember that I rejected Jesus plenty of times before I finally said yes. You know, the average person hears the gospel something like 12 times before accepting Jesus. 12 times. Now let me ask you this. Are you willing to be number two? Or number three? Or number 11? in their journey to faith? Are you willing to face rejection and misunderstanding? Jesus was rejected. In fact, as, we, uh, as we're approaching Christmas this week, I've been struck by these verses at the beginning of John. He says this, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. That's what we celebrate this Advent season. That's the glory of Christmas. John continues, He was in the world, and though the world was made through Him, the world did not receive Him. He came to that which was His own, but His own did not receive Him. That's the story of Christmas. Jesus was rejected 
by almost everyone. He was horribly misunderstood. The early church was was rejected and persecuted by almost everyone. They were hated across the ancient world. The things that were said about them were shocking. The slander, the false accusations, it was insane. To follow Jesus in the first century was to welcome rejection, misunderstanding, and persecution. You could not follow Jesus without embracing those things. And neither can we. If we are to be effective witnesses in the world, we must embrace rejection and move forward in spite of it. Because, John continues, to all who do receive him, to all who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Inheritors of eternal life, we must care more about the eternal destiny of others than we do about our own reputation or our own ego or our own comfort. We have to shed our fear of others if we are to serve them in the way that Jesus intended. Die to yourselves, Jesus says. Pick up your cross and follow me. Same path, same rejection, same persecution. Do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth, Jesus says. We don't usually quote this one during the Christmas season. Do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Why? Because if the world hated me, it's going to hate you too. May we follow after Jesus, being spirit-filled witnesses, embracing the tension of witnessing in this reality and shedding our rejection, our fear of rejection and misunderstanding for the sake of the lost people around us. Let's pray. Father, we are aware of the fact, I I was aware of the fact, preparing these thoughts this week, that maybe one of the scariest uh, prayers we can pray is to ask for your heart for the lost. Because as we experience your heart for the lost, we experience your heartache. Uh, it, it, it hurts to love lost people the way that you love them, Lord. And, and, 
And yet we want to step into all of these layers of tension. We recognize one of the things that the enemy has tried to instill in us is a fear of others. Is, is, it, is it a fear over our own reputation. And yet Jesus, for all of your fierce love, in all of your fierce love, you made it abundantly clear to us. You said, those who acknowledge me before others, even with the pain that's sometimes involved in that, I will acknowledge them before my Father in heaven. But, but those who, who shrink back, who deny me before others, I'm going to deny before my Father in heaven. Jesus says, will, will you stand with me in, in united in, in being rejected by the world? Will you acknowledge me before others? Will you care more about people than you do about your own reputation? God, show us what true love looks like. Show us where we still need to die to ourselves. And ultimately, Lord, as, as we're finishing up this series, I pray that we would be empowered witnesses, that, that we, like Paul, would, would just be able to pray, God, God, empower us. Pray that I would proclaim the gospel fearlessly as I should. What a place of freedom, Lord, to stand united in you, filled with your spirit, ready to proclaim the gospel fearlessly. Paul was chasing after that. He wanted more and more of that. He needed you to empower him in that. How much more do we? So Lord, we surrender to you now. We surrender our lives. We surrender our reputations. And God, we surrender our fear. You say that perfect love casts out fear. We want to be those people, Lord, who, who, who live lives that are free of fear, who live lives in your love. So we wait on you now, Lord. And I pray that you would meet us in this place and that you would work on my heart, Lord. I'm not up here because I'm the best at this. I'm up here because this is my weakness. That's why I want to talk about this. So would you, would you meet me? Would you meet us in this place? Even before we head into worship, we just take a moment to take a deep breath and just, and just prepare our hearts before you. Lord, we want to stand before you on that day at the end of the age and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't let us mislive. Don't let us live our lives in bondage to the wrong things. We have one life to live here. Don't let us live in bondage. Don't let us live in fear. As we celebrate in, in the Advent season, you came into the world to set the captive free. And there's a setting free that needs to, to happen in us so that we can fully participate with you in setting other people free. That's why you're here, Jesus. To win people, to save souls. To, to, to pull humanity into your eternal kingdom. Don't let us get distracted. Don't let us sit in bondage. Come and set us free, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.